You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen, amen. Well, good morning, Harvest Niagara. It's a, uh, it's a joy. You're allowed to say good morning. That's okay, I think, okay? Um, but uh, it, it's a joy to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. We're going to be uh, continuing on in our series in the Minor Prophets. Um, for those of you that I maybe don't know, my name is Brett Patterson. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Harvest Niagara. So we're going to be continuing on in our series in the Minor Prophets. And today, uh, we are going to be in the book of Amos, okay? Amos. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Um, before we get rolling, um, let me just give you a quick instructions how to get to Amos, okay? It's, it's one of those trickier books. Let's just be honest about that, okay? So go to Ezekiel. Keep right on rolling, all right? You're going to find Hosea, Joel, Amos. If you hit Obadiah or Jonah, you've gone too far back up a little bit, and uh, there you go. You're there. I wasn't going to do that, but I had somebody say to me, you know, the worst part about a sermon from the book of Amos is that it takes you like half the sermon to find it. And I thought in my head, yeah, I really hope that's the worst part about a sermon from the book of Amos. So uh, we will see, won't we? I guess we will. Um, So hopefully you found it by now. Um, Before we get going, I was uh, very clearly instructed um, by two little guys that are about this high to say hi to each of you this morning uh, from William and Charlie. So they say hi and wish they were here with us today. So Amos, uh, continuing on in our series, this message is uh, just the title's taken right out of the book of Amos, um, let justice roll down like water. This is one of Amos's key phrases. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to try to go through nine chapters in 40 minutes. So hang on tight. Um, I'm going to give you a quick summary just up front of who Amos is, what his ministry was about, who he was, and then just going to jump in and pull out some major themes and major thoughts that we need to take away from this book for us today. Um, So four points in the message, and uh, hopefully they're going to be fairly compact. So are you ready? Okay, sounds like some of you are, so we're going anyway. So Amos chapter one, let's just start right there. Um, Amos, Amos, We see right here in the beginning of this book, Amos was a shepherd. He was a shepherd and a farmer, okay? So he wasn't a professional prophet. Um, He's one of the earlier prophets to write, to have his words recorded. Now, Amos prophesied during the reign of King Uzziah. I'm sure you've heard that name before, the reign of King Uzziah in Judah. Uh, Uzziah was the king that was on the throne or had just passed away and left the throne when Isaiah prophesied. Remember, Isaiah 6 talks about King Uzziah. That is in, in Judah. Now, in the northern kingdom, okay, remember, Israel is divided into two kingdoms, northern being Israel, southern being Judah. In Israel was King Jeroboam II, okay? And so Amos Amos lives, he's a shepherd, a farmer, who lives in Judah, uh, right near the border of Israel, in a, in a town, kind of a, a defense city called Tekoa. And uh, you can kind of see it on that map. It's right up near the top of the Dead Sea, about 12 miles from the border of the northern kingdom. Now, Amos was not a prophet to Judah. He was a prophet to Israel. So from Judah, 
went into Israel and prophesied there as God commanded him. And so Amos, he, he delivered a message to the people of Israel during a time of general peace and prosperity within Israel. At this time, there seems to be a bit of a lull in the Assyrians' advancement against Israel. The Assyrians seem to have backed off. Um, some Bible scholars believe that that is because of the preaching of Jonah in Nineveh, in the capital city. It's a little bit unclear, but it seems like there's a lull in Assyria's advancement against Israel. They back off. We remember from the book of Jonah, Jonah preached in Nineveh, and what happened? They repented. Um, and so it seems that that lines up with when Amos is going and preaching in Israel. And so this is a time of wealth and prosperity. This is a time when in Israel, by, by the outset, by everything you can see, things seem to be going well. But morally, Israel's in decay. Spiritually, Israel is in the dumps. Okay? Their worship has strayed far from the Lord. It was a day of corruption, moral decay, compromise, idolatrous worship, gross injustice, and immorality in Israel. So they're prospering financially, but declining spiritually. That's going to be pretty important for us to remember as we go through the book. Now, the book of Amos, just to give you a little bit of an understanding of what this book is, the book of Amos is really a collection of Amos's sermons, okay? So it's Amos's sermon notes, if you will, okay? It's just short snippets of his different sermons that he preached at different times. That's the beginning of the book, all the way right up to around chapter 7, okay? Nine chapters in Amos, right up to chapter 7. Then there's a bit of a transition, and it goes into these visions that the Lord gave to Amos. These visions were really meant to emphasize the message that he was already preaching in his sermons. And then there's a little tiny section at the end of chapter 9 where we're going to land today that offers a little bit of hope. Um, so that's a little bit of a summary of the book of Amos. Uh, let me just tell you this. Um, Amos, his main focus, okay, his main focus out of all the things that I've just talked about, his main focus, the thing that he goes after the most is not the theological failure in Israel. It's not even their idolatry. He does touch on that. But Amos actually focuses on the fruit of their idolatry. Catch that, big difference, okay? He doesn't just focus on the idolatry by saying this is what's happening at the temple and this is what's happening in people's lives. He actually focuses on how that idolatry, how they're turning away from the Lord is actually impacting their day-to-day -day lives and the way that they treat one another. Hence the concept of the, the title of the sermon, Let Justice Roll Down Like Water. I just want to say this right at the beginning, and we need to remember this. One of the biggest takeaways from the book of Amos is that the Lord is very, very deeply concerned about how we treat one another, how we act towards one another. And that's the message to the people um, in the book of Amos. Okay, so let's do this. Let's dig in, okay? Let's dig in right away. That's a, an intro. That'll get you rolling. You've got a bit of an idea of what's going on here in the book. But here's the first thing. Here's the first thing that we're going to take away from chapters one and two. The first point. You can write this down if you like. It's pretty simple. Um, the Lord holds everyone accountable. The Lord holds everyone accountable. We see this right here in the book of Amos. Amos starts out his message. He walks into Israel. He walks into maybe Bethel, okay, the, the center of idolatrous worship in Israel at that time. He walks in and he begins to proclaim this message. And he begins to call out all of the neighboring 
cities and nations around, around Israel and around Judah. And he starts with Damascus. He calls out Damascus for their sin. And he calls out Gaza and Tyre and Edom and the Ammonites. And he says, because of three sins, transgressions, and four, the Lord will not leave you unpunished. Now, the point there is not that they only sin three or four times. The point is that they've got multiple sins piled up very high before the Lord. And he says, the Lord is not going to leave you unpunished. Now, just imagine, just imagine if that's point one in Amos' sermon, just imagine how that would have been received in Israel. That would have been like, yes, all right, okay, God is going to punish our enemies. This is good news. We like this prophet. This guy's a keeper, okay? You can come back anytime. You can speak here anytime you want. And Amos is like, well, hold on. That's just point one. There's five more, six more, seven more points to go. And, And Amos begins then to really point in and press in on the sin of the people of Israel, especially the sin of the, of the wealthy upper class and the priests and, and those that were in places of high position in Israel. What Amos does here right in the beginning, just imagine this, he calls out the sin of the nations around Israel. He draws a circle around Israel. Okay, get that image. He draws a circle around Israel. Okay? And then he puts a crosshair right on Israel and says, but listen, you're concerned about them? You're concerned about their sin? But I've got seven and a half more chapters to tell you just how concerned God is about your sin and my sin. And he begins to unload that and explain um, what the Lord has to say to the people of Israel. And so all of this to really focus them in on the fact of, hey, listen, you think they're guilty, but we're not guiltless either. I think that's a huge takeaway for us from the book of Amos. I think it's easy for us, isn't it? to look back at the Israelites and just be like, you boneheads, like how did you guys not get this? You know, how did you not see this? It's called a blind spot. We all have our own blind spots, don't we? So maybe if the Lord would be so gracious to us today, he would reveal a few blind spots in my life and in your life. And so Amos draws a circle around the people of Israel and says, hey, but listen, God's got you in the crosshair right now. And now it's not crosshair just for judgment in the book of Amos. We've got to get this. If you go back and read the book yourself this afternoon. It's, it's amazing to read that God is speaking about judgment to the people of Israel, but he's also offering opportunity for repentance and offering opportunity for blessing. It's, it's beautiful the way that you read it. It's severe at times, absolutely, but also a beautiful picture of the way that the Lord longs to draw us back. And so the first thing that we need to see is that the Lord holds everyone accountable, but not only that, not only does he hold every nation and people group accountable, the Lord holds everyone accountable, but he is most concerned with the actions of his own people. We've got to get that. We've got to understand that. That's Chapter one and two, that's got to be our takeaway that, yes, everyone is held accountable, but God is deeply concerned about my actions, your actions. Now, there's a couple things that we can take away from this right here. A couple things, we're going to do this as we go through this message. Just a couple things to be aware of. These are kind of application points in a way um, that you can reflect on later and you can kind of, you know, think about in your own life. Um, so, so the first, beware. Um, here it is right here. Beware, just beware of thinking that you and I won't be held accountable in any way for the way that we treat others. Just beware of thinking that, that even says, 
you know, that, that, that's becoming quite popular today. Well, I'm a Christian. Now that gives me a license to sin and treat other people however I want. It clearly doesn't. Okay, God is very concerned about the actions of his people. Beware of thinking that we won't be held accountable in any way. Chapters 2 and 3 in this book go on uh, to detail the severity of the consequences of turning a blind eye uh, to issues of our own personal sin. And the thing that we need to be aware of there is just beware. Beware of undermining your own sin in your life. Listen, we do this. I do this. Just think about it for a second. Whose sin do you find to be more offensive, your own sin or someone else's? Someone else's, for sure, you bet. Like, theirs is so repulsive. Mine, it's kind of like, ah, it's not that bad. I can think of a, a lot of ways to justify it, right? Um, who was it? C.S. Lewis, I think, that he said, the one thing that we notice in other people immediately, rough paraphrase, and we detest is pride. But the last thing that we ever see in ourselves is pride. There's a picture of it right there. I can see pride in everybody else, but I can't see pride in me. And so beware of undermining our own sin. The people of Israel had made not just a habit of this, they were professionals in this, of undermining their own sin, finding ways to justify it. Now, as we move along, that's the first point. Everyone's going to be held accountable, but God is most concerned about the actions of his own people. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing that we need to see. Moving forward to chapter 4, if you're following along in your Bible, that's kind of a summary of 1 through 3. Now, chapter 4, here's the second thing that we need to see this morning. This one's going to take a little bit more time to build out, but the second thing right here, the Lord, the Lord wants our hearts, not our religious rituals. Okay, so let's unpack this. From the, I think we get that, but let's unpack this just from this book right here. If you're in chapter 4 with me right now in Amos, um, just take a look there for a second. Chapter 4. Amos begins chapter 4. He's just called out the sin of the surrounding nations earlier on in the book. He has just uh, spoke to Judah. He has spoken to Israel, and he's really outlined their sin. And now he actually gets very, very, very specific here at the beginning of chapter 4. And um, he starts out with really a harsh and insulting rebuke, shock value for sure, of the wealthy upper class women in Israel. Now, here's what he says. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. I'm just going to recommend maybe not saying that if you are uh, involved in a spousal conflict at some point. Okay, maybe not the best choice of words right there. But he calls out these, these women in Israel, these women who are actually um, causing people to stray from the Lord. He calls them cows. Okay, so that's pretty harsh. But why would he do that? Is he just trying to be insulting? Or maybe Amos never, you know, really read the book, um, how, to, uh, how to Make Friends and Influence People. Maybe he didn't read that and should have. No, 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 that's not it. He's painting a word picture for the people of Israel here. Okay, Bashan was a place in Syria, not Assyria, but Syria, where they grew prized cattle. The cattle grew large and healthy and fat, and they were just, they were like the best cattle. And these cattle lived their lives just docile, eating the grass, life is good, whatever, I'm fine today, completely unaware that the slaughter was coming, that they were being fattened for the slaughter. And so Amos calls out these, these women in Israel, and basically his word picture is to say, hey, listen, 
Okay, Syria, pagan nation. Okay, so these are pagan cows um, that, are, that are getting ready for the day of slaughter. This is what is going to come upon you. Pretty intense word picture there um, in Amos. Now, now, at this time, in, in Amos' day in Israel, Israel was full of religious activity. We need to understand this, okay? So they weren't irreligious. They were religious in every single way. The people of Israel in this day, they loved their religion. Loved it. Loved it. Look at what it says here in chapter 4. Amos calls this out. He starts with this strong word picture, and then down here in verses 4 and 5, he actually mocks their religion by saying this. He says, come to Bethel and transgress. Just imagine that. Just, just that'd not be a popular message, you know? Come, come to worship and sin, right? That's what he's saying. He, he's saying, you know, he's just, he's mocking the, the place of worship in Israel. Now, hold on, context here for a second. Where were the people of Israel, the, the collective nation, where were they supposed to worship? Where was the temple supposed to be? Somebody call it out. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Okay. When the kingdoms divided, the north and the south, Jerusalem, we can throw the map back up there if we want, Jerusalem is in Judah, the southern kingdom. You can see it there right up just above Tekoa. Okay, so Jerusalem is there. The temple is in Jerusalem. Well, when the nation divided, the, the king at the time said, well, listen, this isn't going to work. They've got the temple. We need our own temple. And they set up their own temple of sorts in Bethel. Okay, Bethel in Israel. And in this temple, they actually had golden uh, calves or cows. So, you know, Amos' insult there about um, you cows of Bashan, probably a mock on their worship in Bethel as well. Um, so, so he's calling this out. Now, this, this temple, it was, it was idolatrous worship from the beginning, but it had just become completely perverse, and I'm not even going to get into that. Um, Amos has a few kind of jaw-dropper statements in the book um, that we don't need to discuss this morning, but let me just say, things were immoral in Bethel at best. Um, their worship was as far off as it could possibly get. And so Amos calls this out. He says he mocks their call to worship. The morning call to worship would have, been, would have gone out. It would have been, come to Bethel, come to Bethel, come worship. And he says, no, 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 come to Bethel and transgress. Go to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes every three day. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened. Now, the sacrifice, the bread portion of the sacrifice was supposed to be unleavened. So what's Amos saying here? He's saying, hey, listen, your sacrifices are full of sin. That's what they are. Proclaim a freewill offering. Publish them. For you love to do so, O people of Israel. You know, you, what's, what's he saying? He's saying you love your religion, but you have no idea how far off base it is right now, declares the Lord. So this is where the point comes from. That, you know, God, God ultimately doesn't want from us just to live lives that are full of religious ritual. He wants our hearts. What was the issue of the people of Israel in that day? They, they had all the religious rituals in the world, but they didn't love the Lord with their heart. They'd completely lost track of the first and greatest commandment. 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because, and because they had lost track of that commandment that was out of the picture, that was obscured, they were blinded to that, because they lost track of that, they forgot the second commandment. They forgot how important it was to love your neighbor as yourself. And so they're, they're lost in all of their idolatry, in all of their sinfulness. They are on the throne of their own hearts, and everything then revolves around them. And Amos goes right in. He goes right in to Bethel, and he begins to call this out. Listen, listen, we need to remember this. Religious activity is never a substitute for genuine love. It's not. Okay, a little heart check, though. Okay, this is where Amos gets a little bit personal. This is where you're like, I like the first point better. All right, heart check. Do we do that? Do I do that? Do I, do you substitute religious activity for genuine love for the Lord? Take genuine love out of the picture. That's just too hard. That demands too much of my heart. I'd I'd rather, you know, just come to church with a smile on or tune in online and carry my Bible and hold it up so that people can see it um, or tell people about Everything that I'm reading in my devotional time. Well, should we spend time in devotions? Absolutely. Should we spend time in God's Word? Absolutely. It's essential for growth. But has that, in some ways, maybe become a, your religious ritual? Do you somehow prize that above your relationship with the Lord? Listen, time in God's Word, devotional time, isn't an end in itself ever. Even, you know, church attendance is never an end in itself. It's always a means to lead us into a deeper relationship with the living God. The moment that we forget that, the moment that we forget that it's actually all about God, is the moment that we're in serious trouble, aren't we? That's the moment that, that the things that we do becomes religious ritual rather than heart love for the living God. Now, obviously, obviously, just hold on a second. I'm not saying in any way any of us are where the people of Israel were, okay? Just read the book. We're not there. I get it. But what do you think? Israel just woke up one morning and was like, you know what? We're just going to have idolatrous worship today, completely idolatrous, and we're going to be completely immoral at our, at our worship services. No way. They progressed by degrees. That's how it happens. That's how it happens in your life, in my life. It's a progression, a downward progression by degrees. You don't just wake up one morning in the dump spiritually. It's a progression. And so if we're going to learn something from this book, we should learn. We need to be aware. We need to be aware of placing a higher emphasis on religious ritual rather than on loving the Lord. You know, I kind of think of this as, uh, you know, lucky rabbit's foot religion. Okay, lucky rabbit's foot religion. That's just what works for me. When I was a kid, okay, I had, uh, I had a rabbit's foot, okay? Now, now that I'm an adult, that's wrong on like so many levels, okay? Um, but when I was a kid, I thought this was pretty cool. It was like kind of a real deep bluey green color and it had a little chain on it and uh, it's really gross. Isn't that gross? Just to, you know, have a, a foot of an animal that you cart around, okay? That's one level. Um, but I thought this was really cool and I would have this little rabbit's foot and I had uh, this belt and it had, uh, it had like this um, sequence on it, like these, these beads. It was supposed to be like um, an indigenous people's belt. I think that's how I'm supposed to say it, okay? Um, so so that's, it was like that. And I would clip my little rabbit's foot on there and my little, you know, hunting knife. And I'd wear my little uh, raccoon skin cap and play Davy Crockett or whatever. And I just thought this thing was cool. And then somebody was like, one day they were like, is that your lucky rabbit's foot? I'm like, lucky rabbit's foot? What are you talking about? 
They're like, well, you keep it for good luck. I'm like, I don't believe in that. I keep it because it's a rabbit's foot. It's cool. Come on, right? Um, but, you know, the idea of a lucky rabbit's foot, okay, we don't see that in our culture really that much today. But do we have, you know, kind of lucky rabbit's foot religion in some ways? Maybe. You know, we maybe spend more time thinking about what we're going to wear on Sunday morning, how people are going to perceive us than we do actually getting our hearts ready to worship the living God. You know, I'm all concerned about what I look like on the outside. Meanwhile, what's happening on the inside is a mess. Wait a minute. That's kind of a lucky rabbit's foot religion. Maybe we use uh, spiritual sounding words um, to hide where we're really at. Maybe when somebody asks us, you know, how are you doing? Oh, blessed by the Lord, brother. I'm, you know, I'm struggling, but the Lord is triumphant. When meanwhile, we don't mean that at all. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that language. All that I'm saying is if that's not a true reflection of your heart, okay, you're clinging to something other than the Lord. When we do that, we need to be reminded that our Savior, Jesus Christ, said very clearly, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. May that never, ever be us. May we never give a reflection with our words that is not accurate to the true condition of our heart. Now, guilty as charged on that one. You know, this is something that the Lord's really been convicting me on over the last year. Um, how do I portray where I'm really at? How do I even invite people in for prayer and, and, and to pray for me when I'm, when I'm struggling? But listen, are we willing to be honest with one another? That's a really important question. See, religious ritual says you can't be honest. You can't do that. Um, you just need to go through the motions. You need to fake it till you make it. That's what religious ritual says. But what the Lord says is, no, I want your heart right now. I want your heart. I want your genuine love. I want you to come to me right now with all of your needs because I'm the one who can meet your needs. I'm the one who can, who can help you. I'm the one who can lead you. And so listen, we need to think about these things. We need to process these things in our own heart. The other thing that comes out of this, though, is we need to think Okay, as we look at this passage, we also need to think about um, our attitudes towards other people. So the person, the person that is very concerned with the externals, just track here for a second, the person that's very concerned about their externals and not so concerned about what's going on inside in the heart is also very, very likely the person that is going to be quick to judge other people based on appearances. Okay, that is exactly where the people of Israel were at in this day. They were at this place where they would judge others and not just judge, they would actually follow through on action of condemning them. One of the things that was happening in Israel during this time was there was this form of debt slavery happening where honest, hardworking people would borrow money, maybe it was a year of famine, they would borrow money so that they could survive and plant their crops for the next year, and the wealthy who lent that money to them would actually draw them into this form of slavery. They would, they would owe them, and if they couldn't pay exactly on time in the way that they were supposed to, believe it or not, this is what happened. They would actually take their children and sell them into slavery, or they would sell the whole family into slavery because they could not pay their debt as quickly as they should have. Just think about that for a second. 
Like, isn't there any commandments in the Old Testament about, you know, you're, you're not to enslave your brother, you're not to do this to your brother in Israel? Absolutely. They just forsaken all of that. They just turned away from that. They would just make snap judgments on other people, and they were even willing to sell their brothers and sisters into slavery. Now, this is not people that were trying to get out of their debt, weasel out of it. These were honest people who would pay. They just needed a little bit more time and ability to be able to do that. But I want you to think here. We don't do that today. I'm sure we don't. But just take the application. How do we treat others today? How, not just broadly, how do you as a person treat others? Are you generous? Are you kind? Are you gentle, forgiving? Or are you harsh? Do you demand more from others than you would ever demand from yourself? That's where the people of Israel were at. They were demanding more from others than they would ever demand of themselves. And so just think about this for a second. Uh, Amos right here is going after the theme of justice in chapter 4. And just think about how this relates to us today. You know, we think about social justice even in the world today. And sometimes, you know, you probably felt this. I've felt this. You ever feel like helpless to do anything, basically? You just look at everything that's happening around the world and you're like, I can't even do a thing about this. I've felt that. I saw one nod. Okay, there's one person that's got it that feels the same thing as me. Yes, okay, so we do. But maybe instead of looking globally, look right now at the people that you have contact with every single day, your neighbors, your friends, your family, those that are connected to you. How much do you care about justice, kindness, equity with those people that are in your life right now that you actually have some opportunity to impact in some way? What about maybe even social media? How concerned are you about even your words on social media, whether they will be used to promote justice, equity, love for all other peoples, no matter what our diversity? How, how concerned are you about that? Or do you just kind of want to get, you know, state your opinions and get a little bit of a fight going and, and a discussion? Listen, the Lord's going to hold us accountable for these things. <laughs> Don't think that for some reason... You know, what you say on Facebook doesn't count as words. The Bible tells us that we will be held accountable for every single word that comes out of our mouths. Lord, help me. And every single word that you type on your computer or on your smartphone and you post online. Every single one. Wow. And so we may think that we can't do anything about social justice when we look at the global, the, the global uh, situation today, especially in North America. As we look at what's happening south of the border, we may think we can't do anything about this. The Lord doesn't hold us accountable for that. He, he hasn't given you a position for that, but he does hold us accountable for how we treat those that we have any influence over, those that are in our circle, in our community, and we really need to think about it. And so internal check right now. Right now, okay, just check yourself right now. When was the last time that you looked down on someone or neglected somebody who had less than you? When was the last time that you, um, that, that you mistreated or even thought less of somebody that maybe had a different skin color than you, hair color than you, eye color than you, whatever, or was just different than you? When was the last time that you manipulated somebody in order to get your own way? When was the last time um, that, that you uh, thought, you know, God is a forgiving God, so I can just go ahead and sin in this way? When was the last time that 
You know, you went somewhere, maybe on the internet or in your thoughts that you had no business going at all. Listen, on each of those points, whenever we go there, on a heart level, we're not in a different place than the people of Israel were. Did you hear that? The difference between us and them in those moments is only a difference of degrees, whether we're actually going to follow through with actions on where our hearts have already gone. And what does Jesus say about the heart? So clearly, so clearly. He says, for example, if, if you hate someone in your heart, you've already committed murder. If you lust after someone in your heart, you've already committed adultery, which is immorality. So it is so easy for us to look at the people of Israel and just to say, man, you boneheads, how did you not get this? And just turn a blind eye to what's actually happening in here. Now, at this point, you're probably like, yeah, I liked point one a lot better. Um, I agree. I like point one a lot better too. But you know what? Point two is a good one as well because the Lord wants to reveal our sins so that he can begin to change us from the inside out to be more like him, to lead us in the way that he wants us to walk. And the Lord is faithful to do that. And the Lord is going after that with the people of Israel right here. Listen to how intense the Lord gets right here. And this is the main chunk of the message. Points three and four are quick ones. Uh, but we've got to get what the Lord is saying to us here. Flip over just to Amos chapter five. Listen to how intense it gets in what the Lord says to the people of Israel. Because they were so focused on superficial spirituality, on religious ritual, and they had pushed God out of the picture, listen to God's commentary on their worship services. This blew me away when I read it. This is the Lord speaking. This isn't Amos. Okay, this is, Amos is saying this, but it's from the Lord. Here's what the Lord thinks of the religious worship in Israel in that day. Amos 5, 21 through 24. I hate, I despise your feasts. That's intense, isn't it? God's like, I hate, nope, wait, better word, um, it's worse than that, I despise. Hate's kind of a little bit light sometimes. No, I despise your feasts, so Israel. You love, Israel, you love to come together and play the religious game and do all of these things. I hate it. I despise it. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, he says. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offering of your fattened animals, I will not look on them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. Whoa, that is intense. Okay, that is intense. It's one thing to be told by the government of Ontario that we can't sing out loud, but it is a totally different thing to be told by God, please don't sing when you show up on Sunday morning. I just don't want to hear it anymore. Oh my goodness. Isn't that intense? Doesn't that just make you feel like shock in your own heart? Could you imagine the Lord saying this to his people? I don't want to hear your songs because you don't love me. You love the religious game. So think about it. Heart test. What do we love more? Is it the Lord or is it the religious ritual, the religious game that we can so easily get into? And what does the Lord say in reply? Verse 24, what does he say in reply? What does the Lord want instead? If he doesn't want the religious ritual, the religious game, what does the Lord want? Here it is right here, verse 24. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You might remember uh, Martin Luther King Jr. quoted that at one point. I was trying to figure out where it was. I think 
It was maybe in his speech, I have a dream, or maybe it was in one of his letters that he actually wrote in jail, but he said that was one of his hopes for America, that justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Listen, this little phrase right here is absolutely packed if we understand it in its original language in the Hebrew. I studied this phrase a little bit this week, um, and I can honestly say uh, that there are two Hebrew words here that I have no clue how to say, so I'm not even going to try, okay? Um, Because that would be really funny and really, really bad. Um, I don't know how to say the words, but I at least was able to figure out what they mean or what somebody who's way smarter than me who wrote a book says what they mean. Um, and, And it sounds like it makes sense, so I'll give that to you this morning, okay? The first word right here, righteousness, in the Hebrew. Okay, so let justice roll down like water and righteousness, righteousness, it means righteousness. It means right, equitable relationships between people no matter of their social differences. Wow, that is a good word for today, isn't it? Man, that righteousness would reign across North America. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Oh, church, we should be praying for that. Man, there's a lot of back and forth on which side we find ourselves on, which movement we support, which movement we don't support, this and that. Stop. Pray. Pray, Lord, would you make the people of North America righteous? Would you help us to love one another no matter what our social differences may be? Because really, we're, we're all together in this thing. That righteousness would reign in our day. Well, what about justice? Why didn't I talk about that first? Because justice here in this passage is actually an outflowing of righteousness, okay? Righteousness is right, equitable relationships between people, not dependent on their social differences. Justice is the concrete actions that you take in order to create righteousness in your life, your community, your neighborhood, whatever it might be. Wow. Lord, would our country, would our church, would our continent be characterized today by righteousness and justice? Lord, today, would you raise up even politicians that love righteousness and love justice? That politicians that want right, equitable relationships between all peoples and are willing and able to take concrete steps towards justice. Man, as we look at the scene in Canada, and in the United States especially, it seems hard to believe that that could ever happen, doesn't it? It does to me. I can't do it. You can't do it. The Lord can do it. The Lord can do it. It's His job. Why don't we just pray? Why don't we pray to that end? You know, the question... The question, does God care about social justice? That's kind of a hot button question in many evangelical circles today. Does God care about social justice? All that I'm going to say to that is read the book of Amos. Just read the book of Amos. I'm not going to tell you yes or no. You just read the book of Amos and you will understand how much God actually does care about social justice. But one thing that God doesn't care about social justice is when people tend to exalt social justice and push him out of the picture as if we could ever, in any of our lives, have true social justice without God front and center in the picture. It's not going to happen, 
okay? And so we need to get that. Yes, God does care about these things, but it's not an idol to be exalted above him. It is something that comes as a fruit when he is on the throne and when he is front and center. Listen, there's so much more that we could say about this right here. We could jump in and we could talk about, you know, so much application. I'm just going to give you two thoughts and then I'm going to move on because we're running out of time. Um, Two thoughts. First of all, Amos, Amos really goes after the wealthy in Israel, and he really poses the question over and over again through all the things that he says, okay, if you're wealthy, we're wealthy in this room today, um, how do you treat those who have less than you? How do you look on them? Do you sideline them? Do you block them from getting justice? That's what was happening because somebody was poor in Israel. They didn't have as much money. The, right, the, the wealthy would block this righteous person, this honest person from getting the justice that they deserved. That is wicked. And God holds them accountable for that. There's so many other applications we could talk about. You know, business owners. How do you treat your employees? Uh, What what do you do to make right, equitable relationships for them? Or just everyone, every single one of us. um, Do we look down on other people because they're different than us? Listen, this is all application that needs to get flushed out in your own heart. And so just beware of these things that are up on the screen. They've been up there for a little while. Just beware of practicing superficial spirituality. Beware, beware, excuse me, beware of what you do with your prosperity. Notice it was when the people of Israel were prospering, that they turned away from the Lord and rebelled against him. It wasn't in their poverty. It wasn't in their oppression. Man, wasn't there a great resurgence of true religion in Israel whenever there was oppression? But when prosperity came, it was a different story. And beware of turning a blind eye to injustice in our own lives, in our own communities. Number three, here's number three. Coming out of chapter four, we'll just write this one down. We won't uh, touch on it. We won't unpack it fully, just touch on it quickly. God looks at the people of Israel and he says this to them basically, essentially. The Lord looks at the people of Israel in Amos' day and he says, I love you too much to let you go on like this. I am going to bring discipline and it's going to be intense. And so here's the point we've got to get. The Lord loves us enough to discipline us. He loves you and me, believers in Christ, enough to bring discipline into our lives. You're like, that does not fit in my theological grid. It's not in there. Okay, if if that doesn't fit in your theological grid that the Lord can love you as a believer in Christ and bring discipline into your life to purify you and make you more like Jesus, lovingly I say this, you need to go read Hebrews chapter 12 today when you get home. Bench the book of Amos until devotions later this week. Read Hebrews chapter 12. Okay, verse 6 down to about 9 or 10, we'll lay it out so clearly that the Lord, okay, disciplines those whom he loves, that it's actually a loving act of God to bring discipline into our lives, to draw our hearts back to him. Now listen, in the book of Amos, the Lord goes after the people of Israel. He pursues them. He's chasing after them, just like that song that we sang earlier, the the always chasing God who's pursuing them, and he's going after them, and he's doing it through discipline. And the Lord, over and over again, he runs down this big list of different things that he has done to draw his people back to himself. And it says, yet you did not return, declares the Lord. Five times over, this phrase is repeated. Yet you did not return. Yet you did not return. Yet you did not return. God says, I did this. I did this. I did this. I did this. Yet you did not return. And by the end of chapter five, we really um, read 
that the Lord is pleading with his people to return to him again. He's pleading with his people. He says this in chapter 5, verse 5. Take a look right there. Seek me and live, the Lord says. Amos 5, verse 6. Again, seek the Lord and live. Amos 5, 14 and 15. Seek good and not evil that you may live. Wow. God, again, just calling his people, drawing his people back to himself, even bringing discipline into their lives. Why? Because God loves them enough not to abandon them on the path that leads to destruction. We've got to understand that. We've got to get that. We've got to believe that. And so just two things to be aware of right here. Two things to be aware of. First one, in your own life today, in your own heart, beware. Beware of undermining your own sin. We heard that. But beware, beware of ignoring God's voice. God's correction, God's loving discipline in your life that draws you to be more like Jesus Christ, to purify you. Beware of ignoring God's voice. And then second, beware of rejecting God's discipline. Listen, God brings discipline into the life of a believer. He doesn't do it for our destruction. He does it so that for, for our eternity, so that we will be like Jesus Christ, so that we will be made into his image, purified, sanctified, and then one day glorified. He does that to make us more like him. But beware of rejecting that. You can. You can reject God's discipline. Did you know that? You can reject it. You can give God a stiff arm and say, yeah, forget it. I'm, no. Yeah, I, I understand. I've been disciplined here, and I understand that came from you, but I reject that. I'm, I'm going to keep going in the way that I'm going. The people of Israel did that over and over and over again, and God got to the point where he said, hey, listen, it's going to be a lot more severe now because I'm not disciplining at this point. I'm judging. I'm sending judgment. Now, that might be hard to fit into your theological grid. That's a hard one for me to fit into my theological grid, or at least it was until I really studied the book of 1 Corinthians, especially chapter 11, I think it's 11, where they talk about the Lord's Supper, and it's a pretty clear picture right there that God actually brought judgment in the church because of ongoing sin in the church that wasn't dealt with. And that wasn't a God hating his people thing. That was God loving his people and doing what was very best and very right for them. And so if you have questions about that, I would just encourage you to study the book of 1 Corinthians, maybe grab a good commentary on it, and look in uh, to the portion where it talks about the Lord's Supper and the discipline that the Lord even brought there on his church uh, when they were mistreating uh, what he was saying and, and honoring him. And so just beware of rejecting God's discipline in your life. Well, at this point in the book, right now we're up to about chapter 5. We're just going to skip forward a little bit. Um, in chapter 7, Amos shifts over, as I told you earlier, he shifts over from his sermon notes, okay, over to the visions. Now, we're not going to go through all of the visions just because we don't have time to do that this morning. I'm just going to touch on them and just tell you what they are. He has several different visions, though. The first two are, are visions of locust and fire. Those are simply visions of judgment. God is going to bring judgment. Whenever you read of locust in the Old Testament, consuming, fire consuming, those are always divine acts. Remember uh, the locust, people of Egypt. That was a plague sent from God. It's a judgment, okay? So that's the first one. Now those two were actually um, deterred. They were pushed off because of Amos' interceding for the people of God. But then his third vision is a plumb line. 
And this plumb line, okay, it's like a, a carpenter's tool. I should have brought one today. Um, and you hang it down and it tells you what is, what is straight, what is up and down. And God holds up a plumb line against a straight wall just to show how far Israel was leaning off to the side. And this is just showing God's standard. Now the fourth vision that he has is a basket of summer fruit, it says, a basket of ripe fruit. And this vision just is really meant to tell us that, that the time is now. Well, when's this judgment going to happen, Amos? Now. The time is now. God's been pleading with you over the years, and, and now it's going to happen. And then the fifth vision is actually a vision of the destruction of Israel of the capitals being smashed, of the temple at Bethel being smashed. And at this point in the book, in chapter 7, um, Amos has been moderately tolerated, I guess, in Israel up until this point. But at this point, the, the head priest, Amaziah, says, Amos, get out. Go. Go back to Judah. Prophesy in Judah. We don't want to hear what you have to say because that's not going to happen. Go. And he, he tries to kick him out. And Amos, ultimately there... Um, gives condemnation on the whole nation uh, from the Lord. And we get down to the end of the book. That runs through, the visions run through chapter 7, 8, and the beginning of 9. And we get down to the end of the book. And you're like, man, this is a dark, heavy book. It is. Welcome to the Minor Prophets, okay? It, they are dark, heavy books. But we get down to the end of the book, at the end of chapter 9, and there's this beautiful little picture of hope for us right there at the end of the book, and I just want to end on that note. And this is point four. Point four right out of the book of Amos. Amos chapter nine, verse 11. Point four is the Lord is able to restore the broken. We need to know that. God holds us all accountable, especially those who know him, okay? But the Lord is able to restore the broken. Amos nine, verse 11. I love this picture right here. In that day, it says, Amos is not saying today, he's saying in that day, pointing to the future, the booth, the house of David that is fallen. And, uh, sorry, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David, the house of David that is fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old. Now, this is a great little picture right here, ultimately, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not just talking about rebuilding of the temple and the city of David. He's actually talking and pointing forward to the Messiah, the one who will come from David's line that will be the redeemer, that will be the restorer. He's talking about Christ the Lord. Now, here's the thing that we need to realize from this is the Lord never leaves his people without hope. He always offers hope. As you read the book of Amos today or later in the week, just catch these glimpses of hope, of as God is calling out and even judging the people of Israel, as he's calling these things out, he is always, okay, calling them out, bringing judgment with one hand, but offering restoration, offering hope on the other hand. If they will simply repent and return, they can be restored. Seek the Lord and live, God is saying to them. And so this is a great picture of hope here in this passage, in this book. We live today in strange days, don't we, church? We do. And the world seems upside down on so many different levels. Um, upside down that we have to worship six feet apart and we can't really sing out loud. That seems weird, but 
It, it, it is the season that we're in today, upside down that things would be happening south of the border that are happening down there, that there would be so much turmoil and unrest and hatred in our world today. Listen, Amos lived in a generation that was completely upside down and backwards. The same hope that Amos had in his generation is the same hope that we have today. It's the Lord. It's the living God. We don't put our hope ultimately in governments, in politicians. We don't put our hope in um, cities, in the place that we live. We don't put our hope in our finances. We don't put our hope in any of these things or that we can even go to the grocery store and buy food next week. We don't put our hope in those things, do we? We put our hope in the living God. We don't live lives of religious ritual thinking that we can appease God and somehow trick him into thinking that we're genuine. We want to love the Lord with our heart, with all of our heart, and we want to learn what it means to love one another well, the way that Jesus Christ, our Lord, has called us and commanded us. That's the book of Amos in a nutshell. I would strongly encourage you, I know I've said this several times, go back and read it yourself. Go back and read it yourself. It's a powerful book by a powerful prophet who was a simple farmer with a strong message that came right from the living God. Praise the Lord. So just think this morning, as we close, in your life, where have you tried? Where have you tried to appease God by your religious activity? Just think even in your own life right now. How are you doing right now in this moment at loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Right now. How are you doing at loving others and creating and establishing righteousness and justice in your community, in the people that you have contact with? How are you doing at living these things out? And maybe today, you know, maybe today's a day of repentance. Maybe today's a day where I need to confess some stuff to the Lord and I need to ask his forgiveness. Listen, maybe today's a day where God's disciplining you. That's a good thing. He disciplines you because he loves you and he wants to lead you to repentance. And so maybe today's that day. Maybe today's a day where you look at this past year and you say, there's some ways that I want to grow going forward. Maybe today's a day of rejoicing because God is doing these things in your life. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. But the prayer today is maybe, Lord, do more, more and more. Make me more like Jesus and do this in my own heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word that is so bold, Lord, that is so convicting at times but it's so good and nourishing to us. Father, we just pray today, Lord, that you would take these words from your prophet that you spoke to him and that you would press these words deep into our heart, Lord. Teach us what it means, God, to live these things out. Lord, help us to never stray from you, Lord. Help us to pursue you with everything in our heart, always, Lord, making you number one over everything, Lord. And then, Lord, loving others, loving others the way that you have called us to. We pray these things in the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus, amen.